0: let's pray together Father we thank you for this morning Father we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace Father that we thank you that when we are in Christ we are yours and we are your child Father we thank you that you've called us out of darkness and well you brought light and meaning and purpose into our life thank you for the praises this morning And Father, just as you have ministered to us and spoken to us through worship, by the singing of praises to you, Father, we ask that you would continue to speak to us through the preaching of your word, which is worship as well. And that, Lord, that even though you speak collectively to us, but you also speak individually to us. And so, Father, you know what's on my heart. You know what you placed on my heart. Father, would you help me this morning to communicate what you have laid on my heart to your people, to your children? And would it bring encouragement? Would it bring comfort? And even would it bring correction if correction is needed? And then would we just would we be willing just to respond to you? as you have called us to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, while you're being seated, just a couple of quick announcements. One is, is Justin has taken a missions trip for, for college students this summer uh, to, to Guatemala so if you're currently in high school now and you would like to find out more about that you'd like to learn more about that uh, then there's an informational meeting of immediately following this service in the the underground which is our youth area student area which is out these doors to the right someone can help you get there in case you don't know where that is and so also we're gonna do another straight talk with Charlie and and it's one of the most favorite one of the favorite things that we're doing now is that it's just my goal to get 50 People together in a small group and just have a conversation and just talk we did one uh, And I tell you what our staff we learned so much about that and uh, from that and hearing from people and dialogue and everything There's some things that we're putting in place We've totally debriefed the whole deal and and there's some things that that, that we learn through that we learn from one another and if and We believe this right God's God speaks through the body and if the God speaks through the body then we should allow the body to speak and so that's my goal, and so uh, if you haven't had a chance to be a part of that, then another one's coming up October the 26th, 6.30, Welcome Center. Uh, we'll cap it again at 50. I know we had a waiting list last time, and then also uh, I would like to do a straight talk just with college students. And uh, if you guys want to elect a spokesperson or a coordinator or whatever, and I tell you what, if I'd love to get 50 college students together that are in our church. I think there is so much that I could learn from you guys. I'd love to learn from you guys. The, the, the other people get dessert. I'll feed you guys. Okay? <laughs> So uh, if you guys want to elect a spokesperson or whatever, director, whoever, uh, we'll make sure the Juba's is there and some other people that are involved in the college ministry. And I would just love to hear directly from college students. So uh, anyway, so you guys work that out. You're smart. You're in college. So you guys work that out and we'll work it out together. All right Today we start a brand new series We're gonna look at the life of joseph and for the next eight weeks We're gonna look at joseph's life. Joseph is different than any other old testament character I mean, he has no flagrant sin. He has no flagrant sin He wasn't perfect But he has no flagrant sin that that a lot of the other old testament characters have that that we've looked at in the past And so but joseph had a lot of things that happened to him that were totally unfair And so, you know, it's said a lot in our house, and and then going around, I hear people say that. Whenever something happens in your life, and you're totally shocked about it, uh, you know, the saying is, seriously? I mean, you know, when when something happens in life, and you go, seriously? i got to deal with this? Seriously? Are you telling me I've got to deal with this? Joseph's life is one seriously after another. He lived a perfect, uh, not a perfect life, but but, but the things that came into his life were the consequences of other people's decisions, some hurt and some pain and some discouragement. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at this issue of seriously, like like today, seriously, I got to deal with a dysfunctional family? Seriously, I got to deal with a family that's not perfect, it's imperfect? Seriously? I got to deal with adversity? Even when I didn't cause it, are you telling me, seriously, I got to deal with this stuff? Seriously, I got to deal with discouragement, maybe even depression? Seriously, are you telling me that I have got to deal with this? Seriously, are you telling me I need to be faithful through difficult circumstances where there's hurt and where there's pain and when there's difficulty? Seriously, are you telling me? i got to forgive, not for them, but for me, for my healing, so I can move on? Seriously, are you telling me, God, seriously, are you, you expect me to forgive some people that have hurt me, betrayed me? So for the next eight weeks, we're going to deal with one topic out of Joseph's life after another start in Genesis uh, 37 all the way through the end of the book. If you want to read ahead, you can read ahead. If you want to study, you can study. Uh, but today, we're going to look at this issue of, of a dysfunctional family or imperfect family. And so uh, let's just kind of lay the groundwork this morning. And so uh, I hope this isn't news to you, but we all have a dysfunctional family, right? <laughs> I mean, we're all dysfunctional, okay? Okay. There may be varying degrees and st- differences and all this other stuff, but we just need to understand that we are fallen people. There is no such thing as a perfect family, no matter how great your family was growing up it 's still dysfunctional because dysfunction biblically is this: lining your life up or doing some some things, saying some things, some thoughts, some actions that aren 't really in accordance with god 's word I mean, Karen and I were so sensitive to this and, and, and uh, there were times we'd get the kids together, Brittany and Amanda, and say, "We have a dysfunctional family. Let me save you a lot of money sitting on someone's couch, counselor, and all that other stuff. We have a dysfunctional family." And Joseph was no different. There was a census taker up in Virginia, up in the mountains of Virginia, and he was going around door to door taking a census. And so he goes to this door, he knocks on the door, and a 13-year-old scrawny, unkept girl answers the door. And he says, is your, is, I'm a census taker, is your dad home? And she says, nope, dad's been in jail for 10 years. And he says, oh, okay. He says, well, he says, uh, do you have a mom that's in the house caring for you guys? Could I talk to your mom? And she's like, no, mom ran off with a moonshiner about five years ago. He goes, okay, well, there has to be someone caring for you. Uh, do you have an older sister? Is she in the home? She says, yeah, I have an older sister, but my older sister's in one of those houses for, for crazy people. And she's been there for three years. And so he goes, okay, you must have an older brother then. Do you have an older brother? And she's like, yeah, i got an older brother, but he's at Harvard. And so he was shocked. He says, you got a brother at Harvard? What's he studying at Harvard? And she goes, oh, he ain't studying nothing. They're studying him. <laughs> That's a dysfunctional family. And so here's what I'm learning in life that, you know what? We're all dysfunctional. If we can just kind of understand that tomorrow, today, not tomorrow. <laughs> for you procrastinators. <laughs> and we can, understand, <laughs> we can understand that today and be good with it. I'm going to get real personal. I'm going to be really transparent here this morning because man, this is just something that's so personal to me and so important to me. Because as a pastor, I, for many years, I believe this. For many years, I believe that life is made up of good seasons and bad seasons. There's some times in life that you go through and and things are kind of bad. And then there's some times of life that things are are good. And so uh, you begin to look at life like, you know what, life is just seasons of the good and the bad. But the older I've gotten, the more that I've studied Scripture, the more people that I've talked to, I realize this. That's not life at all. Life is lived in the tension of the bad and the good happening all at the same time. It's almost like standing on railroad tracks in the center. And this rail is the bad stuff that's going on in your life. And this over here is the good stuff. I mean, how many times have we bumped up against the good rail and says, Man, I tell you what, life is so good like right now, except for, if that wasn't happening in my life, Life would be perfect. The job is going great. Promotions. If I didn't have to deal with these relational issues, if I didn't have to deal with some of the things that's going on relationally, the economy or whatever, life would be perfect. If I didn't have to deal with some health issues, life would be perfect. And the same is true that when we kind of bumped up against the bad rail. And maybe you've said it. I've heard people say it. I've said it to where we say life is not good right now. The fact is, it's hurtful and it's painful and there's stuff going on. But if it wasn't for the good, some blessings that have happened, I couldn't make it. And so life is lived in the tension of the bad and the good running parallel to one another and it's the tension of that in between and when we're in between the bad and the good God's asking us a simple question. Will you trust me? Will you trust me when bad and good is happening all at the same time? And when we complain or when we ask why? Why? What we're saying to God is, no, I'm not trusting you. I, I don't want to trust you. You see, the Israelites, when they were with Moses, and there was bad happening, but there was also some good, there was also some blessing. And the Israelites begin to complain about God and to God. But not Moses. Moses prayed to God. And so the question is this morning is, who are you going to be? Are you going to trust God? Because even in the midst of the bad and even in the midst of the good, God wants a relationship with you and God wants to, to meet with you. And to minister to you. And in Genesis chapter 37, 1 through 11 is what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this subject of of this issue of dealing with and having to deal with an imperfect family or a dysfunctional family and understanding what this means. Because when you look at Joseph's life, regardless of what Joseph walked through, he stayed faithful to God. Regardless when he bumped all the way up against the bad rail, prison, false accusations, hurt and pain from people. He still stayed faithful to God. Even when he bumped up against the good rail, a wonderful time of great prosperity. He still stayed faithful to God. In fact, it is in Genesis 39, verse 2, one of the deepest, darkest, most hurtful periods of his life. Watch what he writes or says in Genesis 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered. Now when we hear prosper, we think money and finances and all that other stuff. But it meant something deeper than that. He prospered spiritually. He prospered emotionally. He prospered relationally. And Joseph was going through a, a difficult time. And there is some... Bad things happen in life and in those periods you and I have to answer the question is Will we trust him? The reality of this and the spiritual principle that you're going to see all the way through the next eight weeks is Going to be unsettling to some of you But the reality is this God chooses to meet us with his blessing Many times in a place We choose not to be. In the midst of hurt. In the midst of pain. In the midst of difficulty. In the midst of health challenges. That God desires. It's what happened in. It's what happens in. Joseph's life. But when we go through those times. And those periods of life. Where we don't trust him, and we ask why or tell God how he could do it better, we end up saying that because of my circumstances, you are not with me. If you were with me, my family would be better. If you were with me, my marriage would be better. If you were with me, my kids would be different. If you were with me, my job would be different. If you were with me, my health would be different. If you were with me, I wouldn't be dealing with all of this stuff. But the reality is this, is that God many times meets us in a place where none of us choose to be. Who chooses to be in a dysfunctional, hurtful, painful relationship? But God will meet you there. And God desires to meet you there. And so the thing that you need to understand this morning, because we're going to look at just three simple things that Joseph had to do and that we have to do to overcome a dysfunctional family. And we're going to look at this, and we're going to pull some principles out. But but you just got to know, and, and let me, Tony, let me just tell you, can you hit pause, three principles? And, and I know that was a long introduction, but I needed you to hear my heart. I needed you to, to uh, uh, understand where I'm coming from and, just so we could move on, but here we go So there's three principles that if you are going to overcome a dysfunctional family and we're all dysfunctional There's maybe different degrees your story may be much different than mine I don't know, but there's there's varying degrees and there's different degrees first thing is this is Joseph was able to overcome an Imperfect family a dysfunctional family. He broke the chain He did what God ca- called him to do and he became very very successful Because he was able to overcome a dysfunctional family the scripture says this in Genesis 37, 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the, the, the generations of jo- Jacob and Joseph. And uh, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with his sons, Billah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report about them to his father. Now listen, Joseph's family was as dysfunctional as it came. I mean, I'm talking Jerry Springer dysfunctional. I mean you kind of read his story and you go I cannot believe this is in the bible I cannot believe God used a man that came out of a family like that I mean his family was so dysfunctional. He was number 11 of 12 of 12 children And so just real quickly because we're short on time And and let me just kind of help you understand how dysfunctional the family was that when jacob joseph's dad Well jacob came out of a dysfunctional family and so he had a falling out with his family, and he left, and he, he, he goes to, his, to, to a man by the name of Laban. And he tells Laban, he says, Laban, uh, I, I can't take my family anymore. I just need a job. And Laban's like, well, you know what? I really cannot pay you, but here's what I can do. If, what would it take? And Joseph says, well, you know what? If you would let me marry your daughter, Rachel... She was a younger daughter. There's two daughters, Leah, Rachel. This is important. He says, if you would allow me to marry Rachel, uh, I'll work for you. And Laban says, fine, you work for me for seven years. At the end of seven years, I'll give you the hand. I'll I'll allow you to marry Rachel. Here's what the scripture says. It said this. He said, Leah, talking about the two sisters, had weak eyes. That means that Leah was just not attractive. We're just going to move on. We'll leave it there. Rachel, younger sister, beauty queen, had the personality, outgoing personality, a lot of Freds. Uh, the fact is, uh, the, the scripture says this, um, that it says, Genesis twenty nine twenty. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Can you imagine what that seven years was like? Can you imagine being a woman and your husband worked seven years for you? And he says, you know what, this isn't a a bad deal at all. They, They seem like seven days to me because it's worth it. And can you imagine the conversation that they had counting down the days and couldn't wait and couldn't wait for the wedding? And then some things that you need to understand about a wedding and their culture was this, that... In their culture, uh, two things had happened. It was, it was never right. It was it just culturally unacceptable for a younger sister to marry before the older sister. Okay? So Laban obviously had some problems. Uh, Leah wasn't dating anyone. There weren't any prospects. Uh, and so that was the first thing. The second thing is this, that a, a wedding was done a little bit differently than what we do today, is the bride would wear heavy garments and a heavy veil, You really couldn't see through the veil. Uh, They didn't have lighting like we did, so it was dim, low lighting. The veil wasn't taken off of the bride till in the honeymoon tent. And so the wedding comes, and Laban is a, a cheat, and he's a swindler, and he's not ethical. And so he takes Leah, and he puts Leah in the wedding dress and drapes the veil over her. She comes down. The wedding happens Jacob thinks, I'm marrying Rachel. They go to the honeymoon tent. Again, it's dark, no lights. And the scripture says, you can read it for yourself, says that Jacob woke up, rolled over, and realized that he had married Leah. Can you imagine how he felt? That his father in law lied to him, deceived him. He married a woman that he did not love. He married a woman that he did not work for. And so Jacob goes to Laban and says, you know, a lot. <laughs> but says, you know what, I still want to marry Rachel. What must I do? And so he says, you know, work seven more years. You work seven more years, I'll give you the hand of Rachel. And so he did, and and they got married. And so now you've got uh, two wives in the same house, and And I know dysfunctional families are difficult, but can you imagine the the competition, the situations, the rivalry in in the home? You got he's married to two sisters. One was the pretty one. One was the beauty queen. One was the most attractive. One was had the greatest personality. The other, not so much. And so you got the, you got the competition of, of two sisters and then also the competition of Leah knowing that the only, way, only reason you married me, you don't love me, the only reason you married me is because you had to. You were tricked into it. You didn't even know you were marrying me. And Rachel knowing that he wanted to marry me all along. Then to make matters worse, to complicate the whole deal, Leah was able to have children. Which, as you know, in their culture, that's a bad thing to be barren in those days and and to carry on the heir and the family name and all of that stuff. And so Leah is able to give children. So you got this tension of one's the pretty one, one's not. One can give children, the other one can't. One knows that he loves the other one, and the other one knows that he doesn't love me. And so Rachel gets frustrated, and so she comes to... To Jacob and says you know what how about this why don't you, why don't you sleep with my servant girl Zilpha and she'll give you a son she'll be like a surrogate mother and then we'll raise her as our own and so Jacob being a man says okay <laughs> come on so <laughs> that's just funny, but so, so Leah, not to be outdone, says, I've got a servant girl, Billa. Why don't you sleep with Billa? And she'll give you some kids and we'll raise. He's like, Okay. <laughs> and now you have a home, not with two wives, but four. Two that are servant girls. One that knows that he married her not because he wanted to, not because he loved her. And one that knows he married me because he loved me. He always wanted to be my my husband. And then the time comes. Rachel gets pregnant. And she gives him a son, Joseph. In fact, as the scripture says, that when she gave him a son, Joseph... She says, I no longer live in disgrace. I no longer live in shame. God has blessed me. And then Jacob, number 10, becomes the favorite. Now all the kids know. Dad has a favorite. Dad has a favorite wife. Dad has a favorite Mom, a a, a favorite son, because he's the only one. And then, then Jacob has a falling out with Laban. Imagine that. Talk about dysfunction. So he moves the whole family. Joseph is about 10 or 11. And his mom gives birth to Benjamin. And she dies during childbirth. He's in a distant land. He's in a foreign country. He knows no one the mom that loved him, and there's probably animosity between the other three with him. And he struggles. Let me say something to high school students and to college students and to singles or young adults or whatever. It is a false belief to believe that you can live your life however you want, make choices however you want, make decisions however you want, and it not affect you when the day comes for you to get married and raise kids a lot of people will tell you i'll just live free i'll live how i want make whatever decisions i want and listen god forgives sin but it still leaves a scar it affects attitudes it affects thought it affect it can affect the way that you parent it is a false belief to believe That what I'm doing now will not affect me when I have a family and when I have kids. So Joseph had to overcome a dysfunctional family. He had to overcome an imperfect family. The second thing is this. Joseph had to overcome sibling rivalry. You're in a home with a bunch of favorites. You're in a home that's totally dysfunctional. And so it should come at no surprise to any of us that there's this competition for love and there's a competition for acceptance when you bring 12 kids together with with four moms and one mother that's the favorite this is a highly explosive situation and to make matters worse jacob did not conceal his love for rachel and he did not conceal his love for joseph everybody knew that joseph was a favorite watch this first three now israel that's just another name for jacob loved joseph more than any of his other sons because he was a son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. That was, that, was a, that, that was a robe of honor. It was a robe of distinct honor. It was a robe that, that royalty would wear. It was a robe that a king would wear. It was a robe that when someone wore that, you knew that they were superior to everyone else. You knew that they were a place of great importance. And anytime parents show favoritism to one kid, It fans the flames for sibling rivalry and sense of inadequacy and sense of, I wish I was more like them. See, kids cannot understand that the reason that your dad is doing that, the reason that he's showing favorites... It's not because of you, it's because of a problem in his life. All kids can do is say, it must be because I'm not acceptable. It must be because I'm not good enough. It must be because I'm not pretty enough. Maybe if I did better, maybe if I worked harder, maybe if I became more like them, then dad or mom would love me more. And this is a situation that's going on in the house. And A wise parent, listen, a wise parent understands that you cannot treat all kids equally. They learn different. Discipline's different. They're different people. But here's the truth. We can love them all equally. We can accept them all equally. But Jacob did not accept and love his kids equally. And he didn't cover it up. And let me just say a word to step-parents and to grandparents. And I know you knew this, know this, but... Can I remind you to distribute your love equally to all of them? To where they know you have no favorites. Even the favorite doesn't really enjoy being the favorite. They want to keep that position, and they carry fear because they know how brothers and sisters look at them and they don't ever want to lose it cuz they see what it's like to be treated when you're not the favorite. But can I encourage you to love them equally? See, see Joseph when you're when you're in that and when you're in that dysfunction began to behave and live very dysfunctional. And so there's three things that he did just instead of making the situation better he made it worse. He, he he told on his brothers. Verse 2, I read it. He, it says that he brought their father a bad report about them. I mean, because when you're in the favorite, you don't want to lose it. When you're the favorite, it's acceptance to you. It's, it's important to you. It's personal to you. It's, it's who you are. It's who you've got to remain. And so, so what happens in the family dynamics is kids turn on each other. And Jacob Listened. And Jacob responded. And so Joseph is like, you're not going to believe what the brothers did when they were out in the fields today. In other words, what he's saying, they're not as good as me. There's a reason I'm the favorite. There's a reason because I'm not, Dad, I'm not like them. And I can still be the favorite. Can you imagine how his brothers fought? The second thing he did, he wore that coat a lot. And he wore it a lot. It would be like today. And it'd be like today. You've given one of your children a tux or uh, a formal gown and none of the other kids. And then you say on a Saturday, you know what, we're going to have a work day around the house. Uh, We're going to clean the yard. We're going to mow. We're going to clean the garage. We're going to do some things. And you you have that child that has the tux out there mowing the yard in the tux rubbing it in the brother's face reminding them I am the favorite. I can get by with stuff that you can't get by with. I can do things you cannot do. Uh, I am the favorite. I am superior to you guys. Can you imagine the, the dynamics? It, it would be like this. It would be like you taking your kids shopping for back to school clothes and you buy one kid designer clothes with the latest name brand, name brand labels and everything else. And you take the rest of the kids to a department school, a department store, or Goodwill, or Ark, or anything like that. You can imagine. You can imagine the dynamics that are going on in the family. So Joseph is dysfunctional. He's in a dysfunctional family. You learn survival skills in a dysfunctional family. You learn how to operate and how to get what you want. And Joseph was no different. And then, then God gave Joseph a bunch of dreams. And he kept telling the dreams of superiority. And, and we just don't have time this morning for me to read all the scriptures. But you can, you can go through it yourself in, in, in Genesis. But God had spoken to Joseph in dreams. He, he never told Joseph to tell the family. He never told Joseph to tell the brothers. And so Joseph tells his brothers that one day you guys are going to bow down to me, and one day you're going to worship me. And so now what he's saying, not only am I dad's favorite, I'm God's favorite. Not only am I favorite in the house, I'm going to be favorite in the world. And, and so it says that they hated him even more. In fact, as it's just said over and over, they could no longer peacefully talk to him and, and that's what happens in a dysfunctional family, right? It, it makes it really difficult to have peaceful conversations that all of a sudden the subject is touched that is a huge deal in the family and, and that it, it sets everybody down into a spiral and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain and, and Jacob was a, was a passive dad and so uh, he didn't get involved and one of the best things that we can do as a parent is to love our kids the same and treat our kids the same And but the problem is, is that Jacob was also an overindulgent dad. And, and then what happens when kids grow up like that? They go and they get married, and life used to be all about them. And now they're in a marriage, and they're married to a spouse, and they can't believe that she's not or he's not making life all about me. Or they go to their first challenge in college or they go through their first challenge in the workplace and they go through difficult, and they, they're just totally shocked because they've, they've never, everything was always handed to them. So the third thing and the last thing that Joseph had to overcome was this, is that he had to overcome his family's influence and that is so hard. You learned those survival skills and you learned how to live like that for so many years. And Joseph was no different. He acted improperly in the home. I read some of the scripture and talked about it. But it's so hard to try to get out from under the influence of a mom and a dad, especially if you're trying to get their approval, if you're trying to get their acceptance, if you just want them to hear some things about you and that they care for you and that they love you and that they accept you. And so you can grow up and think it's all performance-based, that if I don't perform, then I transfer that God to God. And So if I don't perform for God, then he's going to remove his love, and it's all about acceptance, and it's all about me doing the right things. And, and we've learned that that's not true through Galatians. And the truth is this. We see it in Joseph's life. We can see it in others' life. It is difficult to grow up and to be faithful to God if you grow up in a dysfunctional family, but it is possible. man, through the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness, and I know man, I promise you, I've been sensitive to this all week. I didn't sleep a whole lot last night, that I am talking to some people that have been raised in a divisive family have been raised where there's been abuse, where there's been raised where there's not been an acceptance or, or love or someone saying that I'm proud of you. And some have been raised in unbelieving families. And those early impressions have left scars of insecurity, scars of fear, scars of there's just something wrong with me. Me to where you can have self-hatred and you can have self-doubt and you can have fear of failure and you get into hurtful, dysfunctional relationships because you just want someone to love you. You just want someone to... It doesn't matter what you have to do. It doesn't matter what you have to give up. You just want somebody to affirm you. And just for a minute... I just want to talk to a mom or a dad who may be right now contributing to the dysfunction of a family. Would you understand? It is difficult for a child to grow up to be faithful to God. Yes, it's possible, but it is difficult to be raised in a dysfunctional family. And if you are contributing to the dysfunction, Of a family to children, would you put your children, wife, husband ahead of yourself? And would you learn and would you develop a healthy way of parenting, loving, supporting? You'll be a spiritual leader, you'll speak into their life. You're not too busy for the family. Because it is a difficult thing to be raised in a family. It's dysfunctional. But, but can I just tell you this? Don't use it as an excuse for your life. That unhonor God. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hurtful. Yes, it's painful. Yeah, I went through a period where I was constantly looking back to hurt and the pain and the stuff. But it's like driving a car and always looking in the rearview mirror. Sooner or later, you're going to crash. And that we have got to find healing. And it comes at the cross and it comes at a relationship with him. It comes with knowing him. There's another person that was raised in an imperfect family. His name was Jesus Christ. He was born into a family, and even before he was born, uh, born, his Joseph and Mary had a huge fight and a huge falling out. His brothers ridiculed him, his brothers made fun of him. The last evidence that we have of Joseph in his life was when Jesus was 12 or 11 or 12, somewhere in there. We have no record, any extra biblical information, biblical information. We have no record of what happened to Joseph. We know at the cross it was only his mom. Jesus was raised in a single parent home. We don't know if Joseph died, we don't know if Joseph just left the family. But we know that Jesus was raised in a single parent home and, but Jesus was faithful to God and God's call and his life and because he knew that he had a heavenly father who was not partial and show no favorites and has no favoritism and blesses equally and He had a heavenly father that was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He didn't have to worry, and we don't have to worry, what mood God is in today and how he's going to respond to us today because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it's written of Joseph. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, dysfunction, sold him into Egypt. Joseph is bumped up all the way against the bad rail. They were jealous, sibling rivalry, tried to kill him. He's bumped all the way up against the, big rail, the, the bad rail. And then it says, but God was with him. God was with him. And he prospered. And he worked through it. Regardless where you are, you know Christ God is with you regardless if you're bumped all the way up against the bad rail of life or or the good rail regardless of what's being done to you said about you some of the things God never intended for your life this morning some of you need to accept him and I pray this would be the morning that you do that but more importantly some of you need freedom And some of you need freedom from your past. And some of you need freedom from an imperfect family. And some of you need freedom from sibling rivalry and the stuff that's going on. And some of you need freedom uh, from the influence of a mom and a dad. Because through Christ, you can break the chain. Joseph did through his power. Your life doesn't have to turn out like moms and dads and grandparents and everything else it starts with you and it starts today And regardless of what season of life you're in regardless of how young, how old it starts today and some of you you may need to have some conversations with a spouse you may need to have some conversations with an adult child or a child and says, man I love you I'm proud of you not proud of you because you perform. I'm just proud of you. Some of you need to realize that God is proud of you. That God loves you. That's what it means to be justified. And that's what it means to be adopted. And that's what it means to be forgiven. And I prayed so hard. I, I love you guys. I wouldn't have opened up my life the way that I did this morning. Now i didn't give you all the gory details because I want to protect a mom and a dad, and I love them. But I needed you to understand where I'm coming from. And I'm going to tell you this: I am living proof. It is hard to honor God when you come out of a dysfunctional family, but I'm going to tell you this: it is possible. there's going to be great freedom, and there' going to be great acceptance. And you can fulfill everything that God has called you to fulfill in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me just ask you, what is God speaking to you? I know this is a heavy message. What is God speaking to you? What does God want you to do? Not what Charlie wants you to do. Not what the church wants you to do. But what does God want you to do? And and how does God want you to respond? I'm talking to some this morning that need to go from this place and have some conversations. I'm talking to some this morning that need to make decisions in their life and say, "We're going to break this. We're going to figure this out." I need some some this morning to understand that God accepts you and loves you, and it's not based upon performance and it's not based upon anything exterior. But you are His child. And there's a lot of you this morning that simply need prayer. That's where it starts. That's where it started for me. People praying for me and people encouraging me. Started with his word and understanding his word and how it applied to my life. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have you stand, and our prayer partners, as soon as we stand, you, you just don't even wait. You come out, you step out of the aisles, you come down here, you stand. We're not going to, it's not going to be a long period at all this morning. And then there are some of you this morning that need to come down. The Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens as our own. And you just need to come down, you just need to tell someone, here's my name, here's how I need you to pray for me. You don't have to tell them the gory details. You don't have to tell them anything like that. Just say, I need prayer. I need help. That's what the body of Christ does. And you know what? It may even be for a good thing. It may be for a thing, the decision that you're trying to make, freedom you're trying to find in your life. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that you are, are a holy and a righteous father. Father, we thank you that you're a God that doesn't change and that you love us and that you care for us and that you protect us. Father, help us not to see you through the lens of a mom or a dad. Help us to be able to see you as a father that accepts us, that approves of us, that encourages us, that supports us, and that regardless of what we go through, you are with us. You don't leave us. You promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You You're mine, and I am yours. Father, I ask as we stand that fear wouldn't keep anyone from coming down and praying. Pride wouldn't keep anyone from coming down and praying. That there would be ministry that would happen down here at this altar, and some people would find freedom and healing in their marriage and in their life and in their home and with you.